As a business person, whether you're a product manager like me or a marketing professional or a salesperson, a lot of your success consists of persuading other people to do things, to fund your project, to buy your product, to read your ad. And if you want to be persuasive, you need to get good at storytelling. Stories have a kind of magical power to worm their way through the brain's defenses against new information. You know, it turns out our brains are wired based on hundreds of thousands of years of trying not to get eaten by lions, to ignore new information coming in if it's not life critical. And most of the information we're trying to get across in our business presentations is, let's be honest, not life critical. But stories are an exception to this. They get through that barrier, and that's why if you want to communicate, influence, and sell more effectively, you need to get good at telling stories. As a rule of thumb, there are three key stories you need to be able to tell in the realm of product whether you're a product manager or a marketer or a salesperson. One is the story of the poor prospect who doesn't yet have your product and is suffering as a result. You want to be able to tell the story of your successful customer who was suffering, like the prospect, before they found your product and they're now successful and happy. And then there's your own personal stories, whether they're to introduce you to colleagues or prospects or for job interviews. Now, luckily, you can use the same basic framework for all three of these stories although there are subtle differences. Now in this episode, I focus on the customer success story, not just how to tell it and where, but how to elicit the experiences of the customer that will make the story extra compelling and engaging. First, I'll share the basic story outline. It's a powerful tool for telling nearly any story, not just customer success stories. Then I'll talk about how to fill it in with your customer research, sharing the types of questions, including sample questions, that you can ask to get the really good stuff. And then I'll talk about how we can use those stories, not just for marketing collateral, the kind of obvious thing, but for accelerating sales, countering objections, and more. Fire. Four, three, two, one. We have ignition. Hi, this is Nels Davis, and you're listening to All the Responsibility, None of the Authority, Episode 326. In this podcast, we answer the questions I and others have about the realities of product management, product marketing, going to market, and innovation. My goal for this podcast is to give you the best mental models, tools, techniques, and secrets for creating value in the world and delivering solutions to problems that need solving. You've probably heard or noticed that stories have a beginning, a middle, and an end. But if you're like me, knowing that didn't actually help you much. Because there's still that question of what goes in the beginning, what goes in the end. It took me a long time to figure that out, but once I did, it was really life-changing. So I learned this framework I'm about to share, and everything became much clearer in the realm of storytelling. Most stories have roughly the following structure, and I'm going to map it to the beginning, middle, and end concepts to make it easy to follow. The beginning is about a problem. Something is going wrong, and it's causing pain and suffering. In fact, so much pain and suffering that the person is willing to spend money, time, effort, and or resources to fix the problem. In the middle of the story, someone is trying to find or is finding a solution to that problem. This section finishes with that person either having solved the problem, in which case he or she is a hero, or having failed to solve the problem, in which case it's kind of a tragedy. And the story ends with the results. The hero is celebrated for his or her achievement and lives happily ever after, or everyone dies or bad things happen at the end if it's really a tragedy. So you can think of this structure as PSR for problem, solution, results. And again, that maps to the beginning, middle, 
and end of your story. If you use this story framework in this way, you will end up with a good, compelling customer success story that you can tell in less than two minutes, or however long you want to take. And at the end of this episode, I'll talk about how you can take these story components and use them in different ways, not just that two-minute story. Let me start by telling a very basic and kind of boring story that illustrates the structure, and then we'll talk about how we might make that story more exciting. For the problem, let's start with this. I was starving and I hadn't eaten all day. I really needed to refuel before finishing my big project that was due at midnight. The solution part of the story is, I went to the store to buy some food, but they didn't have what I needed, so I had to go to another store, and that, that store I found the salami that I really liked and some excellent bread, and I went home and made myself a sandwich. The results section is, finally, my hunger was abated. I was able to concentrate on my project, I got it finished, and sent it in well before the deadline. There's no question this is a boring story, but it illustrates the structure. And in the rest of the episode, I'll talk about how this story could become much less boring. So there's a couple obvious problems with this story. One of them is that the problem itself is not that compelling. One of them is that the results aren't that compelling. And so we'll talk a lot about how to achieve more compelling problems and more compelling results. Now, you might think, particularly if you're kind of a technologist, that one thing that would make it better is to include more figures and numeric results. This is the natural inclination of a technologist. And often that's going to come into the solution section of the story. So in fact, if I had said, well, I bought three ounces of salami and a one pound loaf of French bread for my sandwich, you probably wouldn't actually find that any more compelling because that's actually not what's wrong with the story. It's not that it doesn't have details. The reason it's boring is because it doesn't have emotional content. The emotional content is what opens up that brain barrier and it's what I'm going to show you how to find in your customer stories. So now you know you need to look for a problem, a solution, and results for your story. Now there's three main challenges that product people in particular and technologists have with telling effective stories. The first is that we shy away from making the problem dire enough. As I said, it has to be emotionally compelling. And what makes something emotionally compelling? Well, there has to be a lot of conflict and potential bad things are going to happen. So, for example, if I'd started my boring story, instead of saying I was really hungry or I was starving, I hadn't eaten for three hours, if I said I was starving, I hadn't eaten for three days, and I was stuck in a cabin with a broken leg in the snow with a pack of wolves around me, that's a much more interesting story. In fact, that's probably a movie right there. Another thing that we struggle with as technologists is making the results amazing enough and engaging. And this is really two different pieces. One is if the problem is really dire, it's much easier to make the results much more compelling. And of course, if we get emotionally compelling things going on in the problem, it actually makes it easier to have emotionally compelling results at the end as well. The other thing that we do, the third thing, is we really spend too much time and effort and detail on the solution. You know, we're technologists. We love the solution part. We love to expand on that and talk all about how our solution is so amazing. That turns out to not be the most important part of the story. When I say dire and amazing about the problem and the results, I mean that you're trying to make a strong emotional connection with your audience. Let's think about the story of one of your successful customers. At one time, your customer was just a prospect. For some reason, they decided they had a problem so significant that they were willing to search for and pay for a solution. Think about how big a problem must be in your life for you to decide it's worth spending a significant amount of money to solve. For example, think about your last purchase for over $1,000. 
How much thought went into that purchase? I bet a lot. Well, our prospects are facing the same challenges when they want to get a new solution. And often, they're spending a lot more than $1,000. For example, if it's an enterprise software product, it's likely on the order of $1,000 per year per user or more. So a problem that's worth that much to solve, think about how much it must be impacting the business if it's not solved. This discussion is just to establish that our successful customer has an interesting backstory from the time when they were still a prospect. They had a really bad problem. It was causing them so much pain that they felt they could afford and needed to go out and spend a bunch of money to solve it. And so if we elicit that backstory, it's going to help improve the story, obviously. I do have a customer success story cheat sheet and a template with all the questions and sections laid out that I'm going to talk about. You can download that. You can find it at alltheresponsibility.com slash stories. Now, I created the cheat sheet and template for two purposes. One is that it gives you the structure and the questions you need to ask. It's sample questions, but you can work off those. The second is that the template itself is a convenient place to write down your story sections as you develop them. The cheat sheet also includes a litmus test or a benchmark that you can use to validate that you have what you need to make the story strong. And I'll talk about that toward the end of the episode. The most important part of the cheat sheet, though, is the list of leading questions that you can use to help improve the story. And you'll see what, what I mean as we go through them in this episode. So the first thing we need to do is we need to find the pain and we need to make it dire. As I mentioned earlier, for someone to be looking for a solution, they must have a pretty bad problem. Most business problems have significant impact if they aren't solved, or if they're solved by an inadequate solution, they cost a lot of money or create a lot of risk. So the first part of the story, again, is the problem the customer was facing. So here's an example from an old company. The customer was a manager of project managers. We had a real challenge when allocating resources to projects because the project managers didn't have authority to assign them, and the resource managers didn't know what projects the resources were needed on. This is obviously a problem. They can't quite get to an agreement. But is it very compelling? Well, it's not in that form. How do we make it more compelling? You know, you can sort of think between the lines and you can imagine why it could be causing a lot of angst and concern at the customer, but it doesn't really sound that bad yet. So this is where the following list of questions is going to help you. These questions elicit much more emotionally resonant answers now, you might have some other questions that you ask as well that are more specific to the situation, but these are some ge good general starting points. And one great tip, you can follow up the answer to any of these questions with prompts like, and then what, or tell me more, to get even deeper into the problem. So one important note, in all of these stories, if you can use your customer's own words, one important thing to note, in your customer success stories, and actually any story you tell, if you can use your customer's own words, they will often give the story greater power. So you want to try to make sure that you capture their own words as they give their answers as well. Let's go through this list of questions. And again, this list of questions is in the cheat sheet, so you don't have to write it down. These are all open-ended questions, and you can follow up, as I said, with tell me more and things like that. The first one, of course, is what was the problem you were facing? Now, if you know a little bit about the customer's story, you might be able to be more specific on that question, but you want it to be open-ended. Your goal is to get them to start to expand on the problem and why it was causing them pain. And you can help them along with some things like, why was this problem worth solving? What made you decide to initiate the search for a solution? What had you tried already to solve this problem? That question actually serves a lot of purposes. One thing is it shows that if they tried some things, it shows that they felt the problem was significant enough 
that they were willing to try to solve it without even buying a solution. Maybe they were going to try to solve it themselves, or maybe they tried to get a competitor in, and the competitor failed to solve the problem. So those are all sort of technically about the problem and about how bad the problem is from a business standpoint. You can also ask what business-related bad things were happening because of this problem. You might hear about things like missing quota or late deliveries or mix-ups in resource allocation, things like that. You also want to ask what personal-related bad things were happening. For example, because of this problem, maybe people had to work overtime or they were very frustrated or annoyed or they were making lots of mistakes because the tool was not supporting them very well. Or they were not getting home for their kids' baseball games. Now, there's also business-related bad personal things that could be happening because of the problem, and you can ask about that. Risk of being fired or demoted, looking bad in front of your boss, the company even going out of business. Certain types of business results are not that exciting to people. They're important to businesses. You know, sales was declining by 10%. That's a big issue. But if, it, if you keep having that problem, then the company goes out of business, and that suddenly becomes a really emotionally compelling problem. You know, the company was about to go out of business. Everybody gets sort of emotionally involved in that story if you say that, much more so than we missed quota by 10%. If you miss quota by 10% over and over again, your company's probably going out of business, but it doesn't quite have that emotional resonance. I do have another article on asking these types of open-ended questions, which you might find interesting. There is a link in the show notes at alltheresponsibility.com slash 326 for that article. And it actually also has a download with some good open-ended questions that you can be asking your prospects as well. In the story I started with, I use questions like this to get more details and to really drill down on the pain. What did they do to solve this problem? Okay, so the answer, we had a weekly one-hour meeting between all the project managers and all the resource managers to allocate resources. Tell me more. The outcome was a spreadsheet with the assignments, but of course we ended up with multiple versions of the spreadsheet and people still didn't know who was assigned to what. We often didn't have the right resources working on projects because of this confusion. There was a lot of mistrust and blaming going on in both ways between project managers and resource managers. And of course, this meant our projects often were even later than they might otherwise be. And that meeting itself was extremely costly and didn't solve the problem. And it also meant that I personally spent a lot of time fixing resource assignments, which is tedious and error-prone, and not at all what I signed up for, so that was frustrating. Then I asked, did you try anything else? We evaluated some tools, but they didn't work for us. Either they just plain didn't work, or they didn't integrate effectively with our other systems, like our HR system and our project management system. So that was very disappointing. We did try to build a solution ourselves, and that failed as well. So we had had high hopes for both of these, and both of them failed. It was incredibly difficult to manage and govern. One of the best ways to get an emotional component into your story is to elicit the personal impact of the problem on the customer. And you see a little of that in the quotes above. Things like, this was very disappointing. There was mistrust and blame going both ways. I had to spend a lot of time fixing resource assignments, which was tedious and error-prone. You know, actual human beings having emotional challenges turns out to be extremely compelling in a story. Now, in some situations, you might even find that your customer has personal business-related challenges related to the problem, like maybe they'll lose their job if the problem isn't solved. That wasn't the case in this particular story, but you can see it in a story like, well, we missed quota every quarter for a year, and my job as a sales manager was on the line. Emotionally compelling. You want to find the problem. You want to find out why the problem is worth solving to the customer. 
the impact of not solving it, the direness of the situation. And then, of course, you're going to highlight those things when you tell the story. And, of course, you also want to find out what the impact of the problem is on the customer as a person, not just as somebody who represents the business. Moving on, we can talk about the solution section, the middle of the story. And this is sometimes where we technologists kind of go wild. But we have to be careful to make this section meaningful, not to us, but to our audience. If your audience is a prospect or a customer, that means one thing. If your audience is some executives from your own company, then it might mean something else. Now, in this section, you're trying to briefly answer some combination of the following questions. What did they try to solve the problem? How did the solutions they tried not work? And how did they discover our solution and find out it worked? You should really focus on those things for the solution section. Now, the ultimate goal of the solution section is to say that the customer achieved a solution to their big problem using your product and other things didn't work. So continuing my example about resource allocation for projects, I was able to get these statements from my customer. We had a weekly meeting with all the project managers and resource managers. That was one of their, that was the solution that they were working with. We tried some commercial solutions, but they didn't work. We tried to build our own solution, but that didn't work. For this particular example, the ending is the customer achieving great results using a feature that we had in our product. We tried everything until we found your centralized staffing solution, and suddenly our challenges with resource allocation evaporated. It was just the thing we had been wishing for. That's the solution. And then finally, we get to the results. The results section covers what happens after the solution is found or implemented. And the simplest way to think about the results is that it's directly a mirror of the problem and its components. For every issue that you put into the problem, whether it's a personal issue or a business challenge, you want to have it reflected in the results with a positive outcome. So in the results section, we really want to answer specific questions that are basically the flip side of the questions we used for finding and eliciting the problem in the first place. What business results did you get using this solution? What work-related personal results did you experience? These can be things like a raise or a promotion or recognition or new expertise or new skills. What non-work-related personal results did you experience? Less overtime, got home for dinner, slept better, less stress, less frustration. Your goal is to relate each aspect of the problem to a result. In fact, if you don't have a result related to one component of the problem, you might not want to actually mention that part of the problem in the first place. Have you ever seen a movie where something happens in the first act that isn't paid off later? Like a character appears for a few scenes and seems important and then never appears again and their appearance isn't explained? Well, that's very frustrating for movie audiences and usually causes reviewers to pan the movie. Well, the same thing can happen in your story if you're not careful. If you mention something in your problem statement that isn't resolved in your result statement, that's going to leave your audience frustrated. So the best thing is just to make sure your problem and your results match up. But there's something else you can do, which is to add an extra outcome to the result, an unexpected outcome or benefit. For example, not only did I not lose my job, I got a promotion, and now I'm running the entire West Coast sales region. Another one that I've heard from a client was, not only did we learn how to do this particular process, this was a consulting client who we trained to do a particular thing, but the rest of the company now looks at us as experts, and they come to us for guidance. So that's a really nice additional result. Wasn't really one of the problems that we, wasn't really part of the problem. As a result of the solution, they now were considered the experts in the company. That's very powerful. Now, another technique you can use, and this will put some real punch into your story, is to find a vertical takeoff. 
That simply means that your story starts in the action with something exciting. You know, a lot of feature films, especially thrillers, have great vertical takeoffs like the James Bond movies. They're well known for their exciting opening sequences. And who can forget the opening of Raiders of the Lost Ark? You get the idea. The heroes in jeopardy. The walls are literally closing in and everything's moving at a dead tilt. And usually the vertical takeoff in a customer success story isn't quite that dramatic. No matter how valuable our product, it's still usually not a life and death situation. But you can still summon up plenty of interest. And as with the rest of the story, you definitely want to be thinking about grabbing the audience or the reader emotionally. And this means your vertical takeoff needs to have personal impact or otherwise be very dramatic. To help you out, there's a couple of simple formulas that often work to help you find a vertical takeoff for your customer story. The first one is in the form of a bad thing is going to happen if we don't do something immediately. And the second one is a bad thing is happening over and over again and I don't know how to stop it. An example of the second one might be the company was tanking. We were missing quota quarter after quarter. And if we didn't solve that soon, the company was going to go out of business. So that's a vertical takeoff. You know, these are actually surprisingly common in business situations. If someone's searching for a solution to a problem in a business, they're likely to be suffering in one of those two ways. Either a thing is happening over and over again and they don't know how to fix it, or a bad thing is about to happen. That's why people look for solutions. I also give us some more examples in the cheat sheet. There's one about a guy who couldn't sleep because he was so worried about his production line going down. And this is a paraphrase of something an actual customer told me once. He literally was having difficulty sleeping due to the business problem he was experiencing. It makes a great vertical takeoff. I've been talking about each of these sections separately, but of course your story as a whole combines all three components. Now in the next section, when I talk about how to use these stories, we're actually going to break it down into the constituent parts again. I always find it's valuable to have a way to check my work. And for stories, it's no different. And that's why I provide in the cheat sheet a litmus test, a list of questions that you can use to help yourself assess your story or that you can provide to a friend or colleague who might be helping you develop your story. You can use them as a litmus test for other people's stories too. The first question is, is the problem dire? And can you make it more dire? Does your description of the problem have both personal and business impact? Do you have a vertical takeoff? Is the solution compact but compelling? In other words, did you not go overboard? Does the solution leave your listener wanting more details? This is actually good. You want people to ask you questions about your solution. Do the results tie back to the problem? Do you have emotionally resonant results, which are personally meaningful? And do you have business-related results, which are quantitative? If you can answer yes to all of those questions, you probably have a pretty good story on your hands. Typically, though, the first version of your story, when you're writing it down for the first time, it might not be that great. There are some straightforward ways to improve the story and to develop and polish your stories in general. The best way to improve your story is to start telling it and notice what works and doesn't work. I recommend practicing it out loud, perhaps alone to start with, and you should pay attention to things like how it flows, if the results actually pay off the problems, and other points in the litmus test. You can also practice it with a friend or colleague, or even have a friend or colleague take a whack at editing the story. One thing to be careful about in your editing is that it's easy to take out too much of the emotional content and to add in too much technical content. This is particularly true for those of us who are technologists. We can be a little uncomfortable with the emotional stuff while we love the technical details, but you need to check yourself on that. You have to remember that the purpose of your story, or at least part of the purpose, is to promote emotional engagement with people listening. And you want the reader to identify with your customer and feel how much pain their problem is causing 
followed by the relief and excitement at having their problem solved. There are many more resources available on telling better stories, whether they're customer stories or otherwise. I have a number of articles and some other podcast episodes. I suggest you look into those. I'll put links to a few of my other articles and videos on storytelling that you might find valuable into the show notes at alltheresponsibility.com slash 326. Now, I hope you found this quick tutorial on how to develop a customer story helpful, useful, and actionable. To summarize quickly, the basic story structure is problem, solution, results. To make the story emotionally compelling, make sure you talk about how the customer's problem had both business and personal slash emotional impact and how the results addressed both the business and customer, him or herself personally. Look for a vertical takeoff to kick off your story and practice. And you can download the cheat sheet and template at alltheresponsibility.com stories. After all this, you have a short story about your customer's success. It features the customer's own words, hopefully, and has both business pains and results, and it's emotionally engaging, personal pains and results. It's structured in the basic format of problem solution results. You're now going to go out and get a lot more of these stories using the techniques and questions. But you might also be wondering if it's worth it. How is having a bunch of these stories going to make a difference in your business? So let's talk about how to use these customer success stories. Well, there's lots of ways. So of course we have the obvious one. You can create marketing collateral with the story. This could be a write-up that you let people download that has two or three pages about the company and their success with your tool and includes all the struggles they went through to get to that point, including the emotionally engaging personal problems and personal wins. Actually, in reality, lots of success stories that you see don't include the emotionally engaging parts of the story, and they are really, really boring. So don't do that. There are some obstacles to using the story like this. The biggest one is that you have to get the customer's permission to do it. That's often difficult, and it's always time-consuming. And it's not just the user who has to give you permission, but their company as well, and often there's an internal obstacle as well. Your own legal department might have to do its own review of the story, and it can all be very fraught and time-consuming. Luckily, there are a lot of other ways to get mileage from your new story that don't suffer from those obstacles. And I'll give you three ways to use a customer's story that don't involve writing up marketing collateral and getting approval. What's going to happen is you're going to use different parts of the story to help your sales team make quota. Essentially, you're going to give these stories to your sales team and they're going to start using them for these purposes. So the first thing they can do is they can use these stories when doing discovery and qualification with new leads. In the customer success story, you got all kinds of information about how the customer was suffering before they found your solution. They had a problem that was so bad that they needed to find a solution. And of course, the suffering stopped when they found your solution. And this means that a prospect who was suffering from the same problems will be likely to have a great result and outcome with your solution as well. They're what we might call well-qualified for your solution. You want to make sure the salespeople know to ask specifically, do you have this problem XYZ? Working with the example I used before, the line of questions might be something like the following. The salesperson asks, do you have challenges with assigning resources to projects? Yes, it's a big problem actually. No one knows who's assigned to what, and sometimes the wrong person is working on the project. How are you trying to manage this problem? Well, we have a weekly meeting with all the project managers and all the resource managers to try to sort it out. It never works though. We also tried another vendor solution and it just didn't work either. Ha, those answers sound almost like my original customer. Well, in fact, this isn't surprising. This turns out to be a big problem in this domain and there aren't very many tools that solve it well. Since this is a strength of our product and we have good customer success stories related to it, 
the next step is for our salesperson to say something along the lines of, we hear that story a lot. Many of our customers found relief from that problem with our product. I'd love to set up a demo to show you how one particular customer, actually very similar in size and business to you, used our solution to totally solve this resource management problem. Can I have my sales engineer show you on Thursday afternoon? So there's a few things that I want to talk about here. One is a prospect that didn't have this problem might not be well qualified for our product. If this is a problem that doesn't come up for them, if resource conflicts is not an issue, they might need a different project management tool that doesn't care that much about resources instead of our tool, which cares a lot. So you can see how this question can be used for both qualifying and disqualifying a prospect. And obviously you're going to have a few other types of questions like this. You're not going to base the whole sales cycle on just this one question. But if you are talking to a prospect and they are experiencing the same problems that a successful customer has had, that's a really good sign that they're going to be a qualified prospect and might turn into a good customer. Now, in the exchange that I shared, the salesperson has actually achieved three important goals. First of all, they validated that, at least in this respect, the prospect is a good fit for our solution. They've also definitely sent a message to the prospect that we understand their problem, meaning we understand them, which makes them like us better. And we've also moved the sales process along by talking about a demo and doing what's sometimes called a trial close, getting the customer to say yes to something, in this case, to a demo on Thursday. Now, another way to use one of these stories is to help handle or overcome objections. So in the course of the sales process, the prospect might say something like, well, I've heard that your product doesn't do a good job of helping me manage my project resources. I'm looking at another product that seems to be better. And the salesperson can immediately whip out some components of our success story to counter that objection. Oh, I know they've been spreading that rumor. It's really not true, but you don't have to believe me. We have a customer who actually tried out their solution, and they were very disappointed. They ended up choosing our solution for resource management and other reasons, of course, and they're very happy. In fact, I can't guarantee this for you, but our customer actually ended up with a promotion after our implementation. Her superiors were so impressed with how much better their resource management became. So finally, you can use the story as a tactic for scheduling a demo. I already kind of showed that in the first example, but it's something you can use throughout the sales process, not just during the discovery call. Notice that you don't need to use the customer's name in any of these scenarios. You don't really have to get permission from the customer to tell this story. The barriers to entry to using these stories is simply to go out and ask the questions of your successful customers and then put the key points of the story into a form your salespeople can make use of. In these three ways to use the stories, I haven't even covered how marketing can use these stories, even if they can't get permission to publish them. There's another whole set of tactics along those lines, which I could do a whole additional podcast episode about. There you have it. That's three ways to use a customer success story in sales situations without having to get permission to publish it or to use the customer's name. Now, obviously, the more customer success stories you can arm the salespeople with, the better. You want them to have a good customer-based answer to every question or good customer-based questions to ask during discovery and qualification. The more you can have those, the better. In the show notes, you'll find links to articles and books covering all these ideas and some of the articles I mentioned and the cheat sheet. That's at alltheresponsibility.com slash 326. I mentioned the cheat sheet on the website that covers the basic story structure and the questions you need for eliciting great stories. To access it, you can follow the link on the show notes or go directly to alltheresponsibility.com slash stories. 
Stories are just one component of the whole big topic of persuasion, how to influence, lead, and sell like a top executive. In my upcoming course on persuasion, I cover many more key persuasion techniques, such as presentation hygiene 101, the value inequality, pre-handling objections, and the six key persuasion tactics. If you want to be a top presenter who has prospects and customers hanging on every word and writing checks, and who regularly gets funding when you pitch your ideas to investors and executives, you should sign up to be notified for when my business presentation mastery course is released. You can find that sign up at alltheresponsibility.com slash persuasion. And finally, I have a Patreon. If you like this podcast, and especially if you appreciate that it doesn't have ads, consider becoming a patron. The link is on the show page at alltheresponsibility.com slash 326. I've just started the Patreon, and I'm still working on the subscriber perks. So if you have some ideas for me, drop me a line. In any case, of course, early supporters will get some special stuff. You can consider it charter privileges. And if you donate anything per month, you can send me questions to answer, have your name mentioned on the show, and of course, earn my undying gratitude, and maybe more. This has been episode 326 of All the Responsibility, None of the Authority. If you have questions you'd like me to answer on the podcast, I'd love to hear them. Feel free to leave me a comment in the show notes or drop me an email at nils at nilsdavis.com. And until the next episode, this is Nils Davis. Bye-bye. We have ignition.